Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. This one has been on my mind since I started the podcast back in February. I chatted with Ross even before we had the podcast rolling, and now we finally get Ross Simmons on the show. Man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Super excited to be here. Super excited to spread the gospel of distribution. This is going to be fun. Yeah, man, absolutely. I think that, and we could, we were talking before, like we can go in so many directions but I just, I think to start, one of the things that I am seeing with clients I'm working with just in the ecosystem of B2B SaaS marketing, I guess, if we can even define it in that, is these companies are starting to catch on with the reality that we've been creating a lot of content for yeah. decades yeah. and we're not sure it's working. Right. <laughs> so, you know, are you seeing the same thing? Is that the vibe that you're getting? hundred percent. I'm seeing the exact same thing, especially with those brands that are kind of legacy, so to speak. Like they've gotten where they are on the back of some traditional models, some traditional frameworks. They've embraced the original idea of like the inbound methodology and they've embraced some of those fundamentals and they created all the content. So arguably they did everything right. They were able to create a bit of a, a brand equity. They were able to achieve brand excellence in the market. They were able to generate customers, but now they're starting to see results flatline or decrease. And they're wondering what happened. And what's happened is pretty straightforward. There's a whole bunch of incumbents who have actually embraced distribution, who have embraced social, who have embraced channels that they didn't get familiar with, that they didn't experiment with. And they're putting distribution on top of everything. And they're starting to surpass them and take their market share. And I think the best players in the market today are looking at all of the content that they've invested in over the last few years and thinking two things. One, how do we ensure that the content that we produced is up to date so it's relevant today? But two, how do we ensure once we do make it worth sharing, do we make that thing spread? 
How do we distribute it? What are the ways that we can make this asset actually get ROI for us? It generated results back in 2019, but today it's generating crickets. What can we do to bring this thing back to life? And that's the distribution playbook, right? Like the dis- the world of distribution and thinking about distribution lives that idea of you created this thing, let's make it spread. That's one of the the common questions I think that I get a lot too is like, where do I even start? You know, I've got, I got this blog post, you know, for, like you yeah. said, from 2019, it was great. Or I've got 50 blog posts from 2007. Where do we even begin? Should I do videos? Like when you're talking to folks, what is your suggestion of like baseline? All right. Yeah. Just start here. Like, let's get rolling. There's two factors. There's the content quality review. So you have to understand which assets are actually worth repurposing, worth resharing, worth repackaging. And the way that I always approach that is doing a content audit. So let's look at your greatest hits. Did any of these pieces make the front page of Reddit back in 2018 in a certain subreddit? Interesting if it did. So let's dive in and find that out. Let's find out if one of your posts went viral on Twitter, now known as X. Let's find out if your content at one point generated a lot of traction on LinkedIn. What piece in particular drove a bunch of referral traffic the day it went live and then dipped off? We start with that audit to understand what we would call content market fit, means your audience wants these assets. Once that's done, it's not exactly what the market actually wants. It's about what you can actually handle. So then you have to look at your actual internal resources to understand their skill sets and their capacity to execute on these distribution ideas. If I went into a company that is written first, they only specialize in written content. And I was like, you need to take every single blog post and start repackaging them for TikTok. They're all going to have anxiety attacks. It's not going to go well. The best practice would be to say, okay, you folks are already really good at writing. You have content creators who are already 90% just content creation. Let's scale that back. And instead of having them create written content for the blog, let's have them take that written content train them on how to use X, train them on how to create LinkedIn posts. Let's train them on the written words so they can apply their skill set to those channels. And then we start that engine. Now, some organizations have much more resources. They have much more capacity. They want that partner to take it the rest of the way. They might already have a podcast that is in motion. They might have a YouTube channel in motion. And in those cases, you start to identify the channels that are going to give you the best bang for your buck in that space. And then you start to distribute it that way. So long story, getting a little bit longer. You have to understand what content works really well with the space. Once you know that, you have to understand what you're actually capable of doing. Hmm. And then you do these things. My dad always said it's better to have like one good kid than four bad. And I think the same thing exists with social distribution. Like you don't want to be mediocre at Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Reddit, Quora, everything. Find one channel, be excellent at it because you have the capacity and the skill sets to do so. And then move on to the next one. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I say the same thing. It's should I be here? Should I be there? Should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? And it's like, all of those other things are a distraction. All of those other things are other things that end up creeping up in the back of your head when you could be really, really focused on sending an awesome weekly email and being great daily on LinkedIn. Like those two things, especially when you're talking about like marketing to marketers, marketing to salespeople, mar- I mean, those sort of core groups, like that's really where it's at. And everything else kind of tends to be a distraction that can make you, you know, I've experienced in my career, it just makes busy marketers. It doesn't make for effective yeah. marketers. <laughs> That's it. And I think everybody goes through a cycle where they suffer from that. Like 
even myself as an entrepreneur, like I go through the moments where I'm like, all right, I've got this amazing, huge to-do list where it's like, do I really need to do all of these things? Or are some of these things actually a high priority and they're actually going to move the needle versus this one-off thing that I decided to play with because I heard a podcast and I got excited and all of that good stuff. So yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm curious your thoughts, because one thing you said about like upskilling, say, a traditional blog writer to be able to do social content, that's a huge thing that I'm seeing sort of a shift in marketing. We're nowhere near it, but I think there's like this shift happening as like people start to understand, all right, we have to distribute this content. We can't just hit publish and move on. We've got, you know, we're, we're writing these things. Yep. I think it's a, there's a gap there for those people to learn those skills. Like a lot of the the folks I talk to that are really good blog writers, content writers, video producers, whatever you are, it's a struggle on the distribution side. Do you think that's almost becoming necessary to kind of learn those things in the next five to 10 years? I think it's becoming increasingly important for organizations and thus it should be increasingly important for those copywriters and content creators. Organizations across the board are looking for more profits. They're looking to maximize their ROI out of their content teams. Marketing teams traditionally get cut first. So if you can demonstrate skill sets that are versatile and you can do two things with one in one person, that's an ideal scenario. So what I would advise folks to do is actually invest that time and energy and to think through how can I get stronger at not just writing the blog post, but when I deliver that blog post, it's also going to come with a tweet, a LinkedIn post, a thread. It's going to come with these different assets and these materials. And when I go back to like pre-Ross, the agency owner who had to think in systems and finance and all this stuff, I was a freelancer. And I was a freelancer, I wrote blog posts. I created blog posts for my clients. I wrote them long form eBooks. I wrote all of these things. But what differentiated me as a writer from everyone else is when I pitched the clients, I told them, but I'm not just going to write you a blog. I'm also going to write your LinkedIn posts. I'm also going to write you some tweets and I'm also going to write you some Facebook posts. And I'm going to find two questions in Quora that I can answer on your behalf. And I'm going to include that in my price point for this blog asset that I deliver you. If I could do that when I was like 25, then people can do that now. People can definitely do that. And I would encourage writers to take the time to figure that out and be able to diversify their skill set to incorporate that element as well into their, their skill set. Because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, ChatGPT and those AI tools are coming for you. So <laughs> oh, yeah. if, if you're not able to do it, then the lower price point is going to be, okay, I'm going to take this piece. I'm going to ask ChatGPT to write all of these things for me. And it might not be great, but it will be good enough for some companies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge piece of it, too, that I'm realizing is the skills within AI. You have to know what good is to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to say, all right, I turned this into some tweets and have somebody who really knows what that is or a LinkedIn post and be like, that will not perform on LinkedIn. Like, there's no hook. There's no... And so like really diving into the platform is what will yeah. eventually let you create that really good platform native content. Otherwise, it's just I agree. making shorter versions. I went on ChatGPT and I was like, hey, here's the transcript from one of my YouTube videos. Write me 20 tweets. The tweets were horrible. They were absolutely horrific. Like if I put those up, I guarantee 20 people every hour would unfollow me for putting up those posts. They were very, very bad. And the problem is 
the people who run the company in many organizations don't care. All they see is AI, throw some AI at it. AI will create the content. AI will do it. Lay off everyone. We just need content. So get rid of our social team. We've got ChatGPT now. They can run all of our social. Can't we use ChatGPT to write all our tweets? They don't even log into ChatGPT at a certain level. And because of that, they have lost the nuance and brands are making the mistake of putting out posts on Twitter or X or LinkedIn and Facebook and the content sucks. And it's because the people who are even reviewing it don't understand the channel. So to go back to our point earlier, Justin, around like you need to understand one channel and ignore the distractions. Hmm. If the people who you have on your team haven't become like obsessed with a certain channel, they're not able to even consume the tweet and say, that's not good. Or the LinkedIn post and say, that's not good. So you need to have a a filter that can actually see through it. Otherwise, you're going to put up a post. It's going to have 10 hashtags. You're going to have references to things that don't make any sense anymore. Like it's it's a broken system. So do I think AI is going to fundamentally change the way distribution is done? 100%. I'm a big believer that AI is going to fundamentally change the way that distribution is done within organizations and make it way more efficient and effective. But the distribution mentality or the AI's like ability to understand distribution still has a long way to go. So we're going to have to upload different data sets and technologies and information for the LLMs to actually be at a point where it could replace a good distribution expert. Let's dive in there then. How do you see AI shifting distribution, changing how people distribute content? What's effective? What's not? And how do you kind of see that evolving? I mean, maybe in the next year to two years. Yeah. The number one thing that I hear from people when I talk about distribution is that they don't have time. Their teams don't have time. No one has time to take one asset and actually distribute it forever. No one has time. So everybody is always saying, I can't repurpose my podcast. I can't repurpose my YouTube video. I can't repurpose a blog. I can't do all of these things. What I think these AI tools are going to arm us with is the ability to remove that excuse from every business's vocabulary. And the way that it will do it is simple. It's going to essentially get us to the draft. I don't think it's going to get us to a point where we can consistently and confidently say, today, these tools can run my social media accounts. They can run my LinkedIn account. They can publish for me. They can format it all for me. Personally, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to give it all away. And I don't think any smart brand should be either. I still think you need that filter. But I think they can get you to draft one. And I think in the coming months, we're going to see the tools give us the ability to upload a podcast RSS, to upload a blog RSS, and then within the matter of minutes, receive an email, receive tweets, receive LinkedIn updates, to receive an answer to questions in Quora about the same topic that was covered in the video, a YouTube description with all of the timestamps, a carousel that can go up on LinkedIn or or on Instagram, a reel that can come out of a podcast or a YouTube video. I believe in the future, we will get all of these things. And that will take us from a distribution process that might take a full day or two days down to 45 minutes. And when that happens, it's going to be magic. It's going to reduce and remove that excuse that we don't have time for distribution. Isn't it funny, though? Like, Because uh, I agree. Like The number one thing I hear all the time with repurposing distribution, et cetera, is like, well, it's not as easy as just, you know, I'm like, well, of course it's not. You, you yeah. are creating something new. It's not, exactly. it's not just, I mean, if you're doing it right and it's not as easy as just throwing 
the transcript into chat GPT and saying, all right, give me a bunch of stuff. But it's hilarious when you think about the amount of time that gets spent on worthless activities, you know, or, or the time that gets spent on, I mean, I know you've probably lived this life. I've lived this life. I work with teams. You work with teams. You see how much con, how much blog, how much yeah. video, how how much content is getting created. It's true. Like, and we don't even bat an eye at the time it takes to create a blog post. Exactly. But when you say, well, you know, you got to take two days out of the week or or a couple hours of chunk to repurpose this and and re get it out there. It's, it's oh, a well, that's, that's a ton of work. It's a ton of exactly. work. I can't do that. You know, it's interesting. I think, honestly, it's not even the work that is why people don't do it. I don't fundamentally believe anymore that people don't distribute their content because it's too much work. I think they don't distribute their content because of fear. I think they are fearful that they are going to realize that the content that they actually produced is mediocre because they share it and they get met with crickets. And when they get met with crickets, they're going to say, uh, I guess our content's not good. So that's probably the actual root reason why many do not share their content. It's not because, oh, I have to spend an extra 30 minutes to write a LinkedIn post. It's because they know if they write that LinkedIn post and it reaches 10,000 people and they get two likes, that the post probably didn't resonate. So they need to now go back to the drawing board to rethink their content strategy and whether or not they're actually creating content that is worth reading. Like, that becomes a real problem for an organization that thinks they have the best content in the world, have gotten no results from it. But then when they start distributing it and they're met with crickets, they're met with, oh, wow. So all these years we've been producing content, but the content hasn't been working. And it's not just because we're not distributing it. It's also because the content's not good. That's a problem. The other fear that I think people have is that they're going to be judged because they promote themselves too much. And this is just like a lack of understanding of the size and the actual, the depth of the internet. There are billions of people out there. You reach 20,000 people. You've literally reached no one. You have reached no one. You've reached 20,000 people. Great. That's cool. Awesome. Put it in your deck. Celebrate it. But realize in the grand scheme of things, you didn't reach anyone. Like you really didn't. You didn't even fill a football stadium. People need to recognize like, the distribution element is literally infinite if you play the game well. Mm-hmm. If you recognize that, yes, there are a lot of people out there who would fit into my ICP. If you only have like a target of five customers, then whatever, you get your five customers and call it a day. But if you have like thousands of people, tens of thousands, millions of people that could be your ideal customer, you need to be shameless and you need to remove the fear of being judged because you're too promotional with your content. Yeah. And I th- it's funny because it ties into a lot of the stuff that I know Amanda over at SparkToro and they've been promoting mm. with the zero click. But it's like when your social and distribution on social traditionally was, hey, it's Tuesday morning. We just launched this new blog. Right. Everybody go check it out. That does feel promotional. Right. The flip side of that is that zero click where it's like, is the content in this blog you created good enough to where it, you're not allowed to, I've literally walked this through with marketing teams. You're not allowed to put a link. Right. Can it survive without right. a link in that yeah. post? And yeah. I think that's kind of what you're saying too, is when it really does completely change the content you create from the beginning. Right. Because when you're editing version one of the draft and you, you and you've got it in your head that like, oh, I've got to be able to create some LinkedIn content or some tweets off of this. And you're going through, you're like, 
I can, nothing's actionable. Nothing's, you know, there's no list. There's nothing I can take away. It's just information that you're putting out there. And it really is like, when you focus on that distribution first, it is a sort of gut check signal up front that, eh, your content you're creating might not be quite on point as you think. You know, that's such an, so there's nuance in that that people still don't get. And what I mean by that is like, I see so many companies with an SEO strategy and they will create a bunch of content that is like a definition. So what is CRM? What is agile? What is this? And then they'll actually tweet these things out and they think people are going to click them. Like no one is clicking a definition on a term that they've known their entire career. No one. If you're defining a new phrase that just showed up in the language of your industry, Sure, people could click that, but people don't get that nuance. And I think it's actually something to think about because what is worth sharing and what isn't becomes a whole different dialogue. Like some content isn't worth sharing, some content is worth sharing. And being able to delineate those two differences alone takes a certain mindset that I do think isn't within all people. I think like there is a training element to that that I don't think everyone has. Yeah. And hopefully we're helping people. <laughs> I think that's a, you know, that's a huge driver for me, right? Is like is. trying yeah. to change the mindset around how to even think about, because really it's funny, the more I've gotten into it, distribution, when you start to dive into it, really what it reveals is a good or bad or a strong or weak content strategy. Right. Right. You know, at the front. Right. And I think that's the thing is like, I'll go in and I'll try to, you know, you do that audit, you do some stuff, right. you work through the content. And what you realize is like, holy smokes, we've got ICP problems. We've got content style problems. We've got audience issues with, you know, are, are we even creating anything helpful? Oh, the content we're creating doesn't tie back to anything in the product at all. Like, it's just like a huge mess. And, and, and distribution is almost that sort of canary in the coal mine that starts to poke at some of that. Yeah, it's true. And it validates or confirms like right away, oh, this doesn't work. Our strategy is broken. Something within our strategy is not exactly how it should be. And in many ways, that's why I like distribution because it's a constant experiment. Like you get to learn real time whether or not an end insight really resonates with an audience, whether or not an idea or a topic really resonates with an audience. And it can actually guide future assets that you invest in as well. I'm curious. I had somebody on a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about we're talking about blogging and just, you know, where it's at and how, like for so long, I was even looking at some of some stats from a content marketing world report that they put out last yeah. year. And it's like still like 90% of what right. people think of with a content marketing program or engine is blogs and, and, yeah. and the, the inbound model had, they did such a good job over that 12 year yeah. span and it worked, you know, that's the thing too. Like it really worked. But I think like going back to the beginning of what you were talking about, like times have changed. So knowing times have changed, it feels like we've got to start thinking about the strategy different, but then also some of the tactics where like just writing that blog post without any way of the audience engaging with that is is true. it's broken it's worthless it's completely broken yeah it's true i 100% agree i think we have to shift our mindset completely into like really just doubling down on content market fit and cons viewing content as what it is it can be any type of medium it can be any type of format it's just content and then recognizing where your audience is understanding what stories they want what channels they consume 
and then going all in on that channel. Whether it's a YouTube video and you're constantly producing videos on YouTube that are high value, whether it's sending a weekly newsletter in their inbox that is consistently high value, whether it's a podcast that is consistently high value and you're spending tons of time doing research on your guests, spending tons of time researching a topic and you're creating top-notch content, whatever the format is for the content, I think is the starting point. Then you have to understand, okay, where is my audience spending time and how can I just constantly be distributing my assets into these channels in many ways, like a system. And then once that system is established, that is the new way of doing it. It's not enough to just like blog, 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 and expect the world to be yours. You have to find one place where you know your audience already is spending time, they consume, they are there, and then you go all in and you try to be excellent on that channel. And then you distribute it in other channels that they're on to capture that audience and bring them back into this platform and into the channel that you're on. You can do it on LinkedIn. You can do it on Twitter as well. Like content today is not just a long form blog post. If you literally wrote a hundred bangers on LinkedIn, pieces of content that people loved, you've done it. That's content marketing. And if you take those pieces and you reshare them on different channels, like that is content marketing, that is content distribution, and that's doing it right. But a lot of people get caught up in the idea of, oh, we just blog. That's all we do. We blog, we blog, we blog. And that is such a broken mindset. I love blogging. Blogging is how I built my career. But I will be the first to tell you that blogging is not the only way to do content marketing. And it is not the only asset that you can invest in upfront to have a distribution strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I'm learning just building my business, even when we were, when I was working at, and internally at companies, the shift really, we're in a very unique spot. It used to be so hard yeah. to get that validation in terms of what was working and what wasn't. And we kept trying to find like the perfect attribution model within our Google mm-hmm. analytics to see like our right. right, time on page and are they downloading and do they actually like the content? And we'd make all these inferences. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is while there's a stream of people still doing that and trying to like find the perfect piece fit that they can judge content on like it's a paid ad. Yeah. You can do this every day on the social channels and in emails. You can do it every single day. If you're on there, you can, if you have an idea, how is this going to resonate? And you've built up enough of an audience on these channels where you can get that information. You can quickly see what's going to resonate and what's not. And that should, it now I've done this all the time. It's like, I'll just throw an idea out on LinkedIn And if it connects, it's like, all right, that's a podcast episode. That's a newsletter, you know, topic to write about because you've already signaled that you're interested in it. (laughs) That's it. hundred percent. Create once, distribute forever, which has essentially become like my slogan started with that exact same thing. Mm. I sent out a tweet, put up a post and I said those four words and people just went wild. And I was like, got it. I'm onto something with this. Let's just keep saying it over and over again until it sticks. And that's essentially the model. It's like you put out some ideas, see what resonates with folks. And then once it resonates, own it, double down, continue to tell that story because you have established content market fit when you have that piece that just takes off and drives results. Do you think that, because I think it's easy. I know you talk about this all the time. I talk about it all the time with like repetition. Yeah. I think that is so underrated. Yeah. Like I still, whether it's companies, whether it's individuals that I talk to, it is such an underrated thing that you just can't, you, you cannot repeat yourself. You, you were talking about earlier in, in terms of like right. the content side, but like you, if you have a strong POV, right? Right. Like those four words, 
Yeah. Those four words are associated with Ross. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and they will be forever. Right. Exactly. And the reason is not because you said that one tweet. It's because you continue to say that over and over and over again. That's it. A hundred percent. I think repetition is key. Like, and it's fascinating that we even have to talk about it and sell people on the idea of repetition because it should be just rooted in just your ability to consume content as a human to see like how many times have you heard just do it? How many times have you heard think different? You've literally heard these things over and over and over again, but we don't clue in that if you say the same thing over and over again, it's eventually going to resonate. Like that is the playbook. You want to say things over and over again. Once you find a message that you believe connects with your audience and you believe represents the ideas and the story that you want, just go all in on it. Repetition is huge for practically every successful brand that has a brand moat and is owns like an idea. They've said that idea a million times. So until I say create once, distribute forever a million times, I will probably keep saying it. Right now I'm at about 133,000. So I've got like 900, 800 and some thousand to go, but I'll get there. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. That That is the way to do it. All right. I think it'd be fun. I did throw this out to the LinkedIn audience and they gave me some questions. You down to answer a few of these questions, man? Let's do it. It'll be fun. All right. Awesome. So Jess asks, uh, I would love to hear Ross's take on how he identifies super repurposable stories. What mm. are characteristics of a story slash narrative that has a ton of legs and you're excited about versus one that doesn't? Right. I ask myself a simple question. If I fast forward when my five-year-old is 19 years old and she's in this space, would I be able to tell her this story and talk about this still to her at that moment in time? And if the answer to that is yes, then I've definitely found a repurposable, repackageable story. So when you think in that dynamic of, okay, fast forward five years, can I still tell this story? That's a highly repurposable asset. If somebody has just written a piece of content and it's like, these are the five things that you need to know about X's new algorithm update. That is not going to be highly repurposable 10 years from now because X could disappear. The entire process could disappear. So what you want to think through is like, is this a piece of content that actually has lasting power where it is worth reading, continues to be worth consuming for years and decades to come? And there's certain types of things that we should know about our audience, about humans, that they will always be interested in consuming. And if we understand that, we can create pieces of content that cover those topics. And those act as, in many ways, those evergreen pieces that people will consume for years to come, as long as you're willing to promote them and distribute them. So that's the mentality and the framework that I typically approach when I'm trying to figure out, is this a highly repurposable asset? Love it. Love it. Do you think there's a mix of, because we were talking about like, there are some things worth sharing and distributing and some things that aren't. Like, is there a mix as like in the overall sphere of a content strategy or a plan for any given quarter, month, year, like how often are you trying to like use that? Is this relevant five years from now? Because that, you know, there might be a company who needs to write that thing about X, right? Yeah. So the way I think about it is in the past, in the early days of advertising, we always thought in terms of campaigns and you would launch a campaign. It would go to the market for like three, six months. You would only do that and you were excited. In today's world, everybody's on every single day. So your campaigns have to last essentially daily. 
So when you're thinking about reactive storytelling, which is kind of like something has happened in the market, we have to react to it and we have to tell a story. I think you have to create a content culture that allows for those stories to get told in somewhat real time and they become a part of it. And when they are a part of it, you're able to look at, okay, for the next year, the next quarter or the next two weeks, the Barbie movie has gone live. So we're going to create a piece of content about the Barbie movie. We're going to repackage it in a few different ways. That's going to last us for two to three weeks because that's when people are going to be talking and buzzing about this thing. And then we're going to go on to the next new movie. And that's going to be a part of our story and our trends. You have to have a content culture that allows for that to be reactive and you need leadership that is embracing that. But there's a hundred percent valid ideas in that model. And I think that model is probably arguably the best because you have a blended approach versus a static approach to just creating content that is already pre-planned in a content calendar. I think having an element of reactivity is a beautiful thing because reactive storytelling, in my opinion, is still one of the most underrated things to have a viral hit. And I know everybody likes to say, oh, you can't predict virality, but you can get really, really close if you just go all in and take a bunch of shots on things that are top of mind for people. Yeah, having that top of mind ability to be able to tap into the cultural ecosystem or what's going on, yeah, massive. I think, and that's when we were talking about way earlier in the episode about content teams who maybe were, have been around and kind of have a static system versus the new up-and-comers who are able to kind of tap in. And, and I think that's a big difference too, is like these at, small agile teams with, you know, a couple of people who got nothing to lose and they're just going right. to, you know, go create content versus the, the 800 right. to a thousand people company and trying to be agile at anything at that state just gets difficult. It does. It's true. It's the, there's two different mentalities, right? It's like the make mistakes and ask for forgiveness, or there's the ask for forgiveness before you even do it. And like a lot of those bigger companies are like asking for forgiveness before they even bring an idea to their CMO and to their leadership team. And that's what holds them back. But if you're the ones who can just publish, 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 and then get a nice email saying, Hey, what in the world were you folks thinking putting up that post? Oh, sorry, we won't do that anymore. That's an okay culture to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly one of the fun things I liked about working in a startup. And it's one thing I love about working for myself is that yeah. free reign to be able to tap into those things, right? hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Cool. So next question, this one's a, a little bit of a unique one, but I liked it um, from Juma said, give us three levels of content strategies for people with more time to less time to work on it. I don't know if we got to go like to deepen with each three, but even like at a high level, I thought that was a really interesting question. Yeah, that is a tough question. It's very interesting. So more time, if you have tons of time, my biggest recommendation would be engagement, engagement, engagement. So all you would, I would focus on is trying to create one output, engaging content. And then on the input, every time someone who's in like a world that is relevant to me, I'm adding a bunch of value in their comments. I'm retweeting, I'm responding, I'm listening to their podcasts, I'm sharing their podcasts, I'm, I'm communicating with anybody who sends a tweet on my topic. If you have tons of time, make a bunch of friends on the internet. Pretend that the internet is a party with all of your friends and you know all of them, you have a relationship, so it's not awkward to reach out and just start building relationships and building trust. Like that would be my go-to. If I had a ton of time, I would make a list of like a hundred people in my market that I wanted to connect with 
and I would set up notifications every time they sent you a tweet. This is going to sound really stalkerish. I would have tabs open with all of their LinkedIn accounts. And every day I would have a checklist of, I'm going to comment on these people's content. I'm not going to get ChatGPT to write the comments either. I'm going to do it as a human. I'm going to make it great. And I'm going to respond. That would be high touch, tons of time. That's my strategy. That's what I would do. And if I've written a bunch of blog posts, once in a while, people would talk about things that I've done or a YouTube video, and I would reference some of the things that I've created to get their audience looking at my content too. It's a long answer for one strategy. I won't be as long for the rest. So if I had very, very little time, I would try to schedule podcast interviews with my ICP and repackage those podcasts. I would hire someone to actually do the repackaging for me. So I would show up, put on my face, talk have a great time, enjoy the dialogue, be very engaged, send it off to my video editing team. My video editing team would chop and skew. I would have ideally a social media person who could write the tweets, the LinkedIn posts, et cetera, and then schedule all of that to go live. That would be what I would do if I had no time at all to invest in this. If I'm in the middle, I would be trying to really invest in that pillar asset that I'm creating. If it's a podcast, if it's a YouTube video or a blog post, whatever it is, I'm gonna create something great. I might only create... 10 of them a year, but they're going to be amazing. And they're going to be evergreen. One or two might be reactive, but they're going to be unreal. And then I'm going to distribute them and I'm going to share them on social as much as I can and respond to every single person who comments, every single person who likes is going to get a connection request, all of those types of things. That question and answer got long, but I hope someone got some value out of it and they'll be able to act on it. I got value out of it. Dude, I'm like, I love that. I I love that when you said, if you have more time, you would spend engaging with people. Mm. My first thought was like more time, like in terms of like getting more stuff out there. And it's like, no, the the ROI of yeah. when you have the time to be able to interact yeah. with folks on the internet, social media, like you said, be, the, be at the party, hang out. That is so true because even if you did the lightweight, podcast interview, but on the back end, we're able to do all that engagement, all that stuff. It's going to be so much more valuable than just pumping out content. That's it. People forget it's not called media. It's called social media because you're supposed to be social. And the social element is probably the hardest Mm -hmm. as you grow in your audience, as you scale, as you get bigger the social side becomes difficult because things are automated. You've got some systems, hopefully, to schedule content, et cetera. And then you get like 20 replies. Responding to 20 replies is a lot of work, but it can be so valuable. Like I go back to some of my early days in the industry and I blocked off time in my calendar every day to go into growthhackers.com, to go into inbound.org. And I would drop as much knowledge bumps as I could on every SaaS founder's post, everything that a SaaS creator or a SaaS marketer wrote. I was coming in with all of my ideas for free, just giving them all that knowledge. And I got literally millions of dollars worth of business out of that. I don't have time to do it today, but I really, really, really am saying if I did, I'd be doing it now. There's so much value in the engagement. Yeah, it's funny how you never know what that one connection, what that one interaction, what never know. any of those things are going to do for you. It changes everything. They always change everything. Like one interaction might not show up again in your life for four years, but because you connected with them, because you responded, and because you went out of your way to add a ton of value, you've literally got a, a contact or sometimes very close friends who 
are your besties. Yep. And it can change everything. My entire life is completely changed because of the internet. Right. In every way, shape, yeah. or form. You know, it's wild. Same. All right. I want I want to be able to to wrap up, but I want to also make it clean three. I don't want to do two questions. So you got time for one more, Ross? I do. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So I think this one, uh, super high level, uh, Nathan asks, what's your best organic marketing distribution method? Ooh, the best. So it's tough because there's best in the sense that um, maybe even like, what's your favorite right now? Like, what what are you doing right now that you're like, all right, yeah. uh, for organic reach, this is this is where I'm seeing the most bang for my buck. So I'm going to do one that I don't think a lot of people see. And it's not even one that I invest in as much as I used to, but it's still, in my opinion, the best. And I do it once in a while just because I like it, because it's fun. Reddit is amazing. Reddit is still, in my opinion, one of the ugly ducklings that is an absolute gold mind. I can take a post if I spent the time and make it to the front page of Reddit and get tons of comments, tons of traction, make the front page with ease. And it's only rooted in a simple idea. You reverse engineer the content that has made it to the top. So you go into a subreddit where your audience is spending time, sort the content by top posts, find a subreddit that is relevant to your audience and sort content by top posts and analyze the top 20. Look for a trend or a theme that shows up in all of them and then apply it to your own business and then create that piece and put it back in there. And it will do numbers every single time. I do it for fun. I went to a Philadelphia Eagles game and I was like, this was great. This is fun. I love the Eagles. I'm a fan. I wanted to see if I could make the front page of the Eagles fan or the Eagles page. So I was like, all right, people love throwbacks. I'm going to throw up a picture of me at my very first Eagles game when I look like Flavor Flav to now. And the internet went wild. Everybody on the subreddit was like, you literally look like Flavor Flav. They were like going in on me. They were razzing me. I loved it. I loved it because I was able to show that I still got it on Reddit. And that is the game. You understand the community. You understand the culture. And if you can give them content that they want, you might get ripped to shreds, which is okay. But but the numbers that you can do on Reddit are wild because the vast majority of the internet, I believe, does get its inspiration from some piece of content that at one point, probably yesterday, was on the front page of Reddit. Love it. Love it. I love the actual tips. It's not something I've drilled into, played with every once in a while. So now you've inspired me, Ross. I'm going to have to go, uh, A, look up your Philadelphia Eagles post and B, uh, monkey around with a little <laughs> bit of uh, a little bit of Reddit. So, dude, this has been a blast. I've had so much fun. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll, we'll have to do it soon. Most definitely. Thank you, Justin, for having me. Really appreciate and appreciate what you're doing for the industry. We do need to continue to preach the value of distribution. If your audience wants to connect with me, I'm on all the various platforms and channels. But Justin, my hat's off to you for spreading the word about distribution. Keep it going. And uh, I hope everybody puts distribution first. And ultimately, they create once and distribute forever. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First, and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are gonna help you build your brand, 10X your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. 
I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.